of this day, and somehow it is gone. I have dreams about losing it, finding it, places to look for it, and I, 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 I couldn't even believe that I was asking you to pray for me to find it. But the Lord, I um, saw fit, seemed fit, to use my frustration to sanctify me uh, and, and to teach me a few things. This perspective, which actually came as I was reading Acts 20, is what has helped me to overcome this uh, idolization of this picture. And in the same way that we can idolize a building and say, this is the church, and look at a picture and say, this is the church, it betrays a lack of understanding. It betrays a lack of perspective and even humility, as if what makes this building anything special is anything except for God's work, is sometimes invisible work in the hearts of people that visibly manifested in even this moment that we have now together. Paul, the apostle, was visiting with these elders before he went on a journey that would end up with his beheading. Paul was a former Christian hunter, he was a Jesus hater. He's introduced to us in the book of Acts first as the one who was standing by, signing off on the public lynching of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. But after a miraculous encounter with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, his life was radically transformed into that of a church planter, a disciple maker, a gospel defender. He is the author of much of the New Testament. Poured out his life in service to the churches of God. What did Paul feel about his legacy? Again, if anyone had insight and perspective, it was Paul. If anyone set an example for the pastors and churches to follow, there is perhaps no clear template than Paul. And yet, this is what he said to them. Verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul sums up his entire ministry and life in that short verse. It is as succinct as you can get for what he felt his call was, and the call of every pastor, and the call of every believer, and the call of every church. In essence, Paul said, Jesus' life is what gives my life meaning and purpose. It's a little more clear, actually, if you literally translate this from Greek. He's really saying, I don't count my soul worth a single word. That might sound funny to you. I don't count my soul worth a single word, but maybe the more contemporary phrasing is, I'm not worth mentioning at all. Now this is the Apostle Paul. He isn't a nobody. <laughs> His life is chronicled more in the New Testament than anyone else's, save Jesus and maybe Peter. That's because Peter is in four Gospels. Paul is not someone you relegate to a footnote in the annals of church history. 
he isn't just a Joe Schmo in the, in the Bible. You know, only one coloring page in your Sunday school lesson. He's many pages in your Sunday school lesson. Yet in comparison to Jesus Christ and the gospel, Paul was effectively telling these pastors, I don't care if history remembers me. Now those words struck me. As I've been going through dozens and dozens of articles and documents about the pastors of this church and spent all those grueling hours turning my office upside down for this ridiculous picture, just trying to piece together a little bit of the ministries of the men and the women who formed this church. And not necessarily for the sake of this message or to have something out on the tables, but for my own encouragement to know the legacy that I have inherited along with other pastors in whose, in whose pulpits I stand. Of course, Pastor Dennis has had a huge impact on this church and also served here longer than all of his predecessors combined. And the privilege of serving under him, both as a, a young man and then as a young pastor, Pastor Dennis was preceded by George Blinkenbacher, which has been mentioned already before him. It was a man by the name of Carl Hertel. I discovered a man by the name of Paul Howard, uh, who also filled the pastoral role, although there's much fewer records of him, but I, I found him. I found his name. Stanley Allen was the second pastor of this church after it was built, if I'm getting this right. And Daniel Hepp was the first, I believe, full-time pastor of this church. He was passed the mantle of ministry via faithful part-time and lay pastors prior to him, men like Forrest Daniels, and then Bill Todd and Morris Hendrick, who stepped in when Pastor Daniels became ill in the late 40s. Prior to those men, going back to the very origins of this church, when the American Sunday School missionaries and itinerant preachers met the preaching and pastoral, pastoral needs of this fledgling congregation, nameless men stood in the, not this specific spot because the church was not built, but they stood in front of this congregation and preached and guided in disciples. Names that are, are lost. I tried to find some of them who were out here. But I believe that their names are worth a word. They are worth mentioning. We wouldn't be here today without them. Of course, I believe Paul led a life worth mentioning because likewise, we wouldn't be here today without him. But whether I know their names or not, all I need to know about them is evidence in the gospel having been faithfully passed down to us, to me. It's a little bit of a hard truth that I was coming to understand, and I've come to understand as we recollect and remember and gather together all of the evidences of God's grace and His faithfulness to this church, that their lives were spent, as far as I can tell, in passing down the glory and worth of Christ's life to the point now of some of them being almost a footnote in the records of this church of that. And yet that's just what Paul seems to be okay with. 
in his words to these Ephesian pastors. It's not that their lives had no value. It's not that Paul's life had no value. That's not what he's saying, not really. It's just that the value and worth of Christ's life so far exceeded theirs. It's like comparing the earth to the sun. You would mistake the earth as a speck of dust next to the sun if you could even see it past the light of the sun of the project. The lives of these men, these pastors, were meaningful because they lived their lives as a result of Christ's life. So, so Paul's statement here of not counting his life of any valuable nor precious isn't about devaluing our lives. Christians believe that every life needs to be seen as unique and precious in the eyes of God because we're made in His image. What Paul intends to do, though, is put the meaning of our lives into perspective. For Paul, and for the pastors of this church, going back 90 years, I think, I hope we can say that we pastored in the power of believing. Jesus' life is of such superior worth that it makes me richer, not poorer, to let go of my worth and find my worth in Christ. To be able to say, truly, God, who you are, your purpose, your glory is of such great worth that if no one on earth remembered my name anymore, I would still be content because, God, you will remember me. It's not to say we shouldn't care about what's happened in the past. Actually, the Bible puts a lot of emphasis on remembering exactly because we are a forgetful people. We have a duty to remember as much as we can of God's faithfulness so that when times are difficult and the trials come, we will have this bank full of memories of how God came through for us and to be able to draw strength and hope from that bank of what God has done to remember his faithfulness. That's why we're throwing a celebration. But somehow, paradoxically, we also seek to live lives so consumed with God's purposes that we don't care if our own names are lost to history and time. It behooves us, it behooves me to remember the names of these faithful men who have gone on before. And yet, so supposed to live a life so Christ-focused like Paul, I should say, I don't care if I get a mention at all. I think that's what I've learned as I've hounded for the picture, as I've scanned through all these pages of churches, this church's history, thumbed through name after name in those old guest book, guest books in the back, looked at all these pictures that are now hanging on the wall. I think it's just just that lesson. That these are men and women who made sacrifices to the Lord. Not to get their names in a celebration service one day, but to honor God. And yet because they made those sacrifices, we can have a celebration celebrate 90 years of God's faithfulness using faithful women and children. Rather than wonder when the city's going to build a gas station or something else here. It's because because they lived their lives with such passion, not to have their names written, but to have the gospel proclaimed that we are here. So the big question is, and this one 
is the true heart of it. What, why is Jesus' name worth my own name being left in the, in the dustbins of history? It's a personal question. And, and I actually have written out here just a gospel message. Almost half this, this message would be that. And yet I realize I need to be able to say, just like you need to be able to say, why is Jesus' name worth it for you, for your name, to potentially be left in the dustbins of history, and yet for you to say, I'd be happy, I'd rejoice, so long as God's purposes were fulfilled in me, just like Paul was able to say, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. So just speaking for myself, Jesus saw a very crooked, desperate, messed up, sinful, lying, thieving boy and convicted him of sin. That the way he was treating his parents, the way that he spoke, to the other kids at school, the things that he did with his hands and eyes were so wicked and abominable that for anyone to take the good gift of life that God has given and to squander it on these very temporary, selfish, immediate pleasures is an act of rebellion against God who made this glorious universe and world and person. That the just consequence for that I knew God has to be just. There must be justice. That I needed to face the penalty and the consequence of those wrongdoings. It is not enough just to say I'm sorry because I'll do it again. But God in His mercy and kindness allowed me to be raised up in churches that knew the gospel. Allowed me to see with my own eyes the lives of men and women who were changed by Christ. And he allowed me to see that my sin could be forgiven if I put my faith and trust in a living God who had sent his own son to do exactly what I could not do, live a perfect life, and then die as my substitute on a cross and rise again from the dead to conquer sin and death and to give ultimate, eternal meaning and purpose to my life. That the only thing that makes my life make any sense as far as being a father or a husband or a neighbor or a friend is if there is an eternal God who has made us for his glory, glory which I fall so short of, but by the grace of God, I can get up every morning and say, I know you are the one who is good. I know you're the one who saves. I know you're the one that's going to have to carry me through the end of the day. And when I put my head to that pillow at night, the only way I can sleep is to know that God, you forgive that you're in control. That is worth everything. That is worth my whole life. That is worth my name being just a footnote in this church's 90th anniversary or 180th anniversary 90 years from now. More important question today is who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus' name worth it to you to be able to say, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself? Because for those who do, the greatest irony of all is that in heaven we will be remembered by 
by this God, glorified by this God, praised and reigned with this God. There's no greater hope for the futility of this life, for the, the aches and pains of our bodies and of the, the age that we live in, than to put your hope in Him who is conquered, who is made conquered. Let Him get the glory today as we celebrate. Whether we eat or drink, maybe to His glory, because the only reason we are here is because of the gospel of what Christ has done for us and for this church. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the gift of this church. It has been a gift to so many here. That is what we are here for, is to celebrate. Your church is not that which is constrained by time, truly, nor this building, but rather it is what follows the glorious good news of the gospel. And so I pray, Lord, that if today does anything, if the reunions, the laughter, the tears mean anything, let them point us to you, who has fulfilled all things in Christ. Who is that? Who is the one who is orchestrating and ordaining all of history so that you will be revealed in us? The glory of God in in frail humanity, first in Christ, and now in us. May you get the glory today. In Jesus' name we pray.